Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Wisdom Collective. It's Adam Crowell here, and I am on today with, Do is it Dr. Larry Sanger? Uh, yeah, I guess. Awesome. <laughs> I am <laughs> I am on with Dr. Larry Sanger. Larry, how you doing? Good. 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 And Larry, you are, you're many things. You're, you're sort of an internet cowboy. I love it. You're doing so many things online and, um, and very creative and innovative things. Um, I, I love what you're up to. Um, some will know, um, and something you're well known for is being one of the people that, um, co-founded Wikipedia, but maybe you'd call yourself an ex-founder now, it sounds like, right? Um, but, um, I'd love to get into a little bit of that, just understanding some of that, because you have a book that just came out um, that I think touches on some of these topics. So um, I'm really interested in what is the book called again? It's free, uh, free knowledge, right? It's uh, essays on free knowledge, yes. um, the origins of Wikipedia and the new politics of knowledge. Awesome. And I think this is, um, man, Larry, I've been interested in talking to you for a little bit and sort of sat on it. And then uh, the cultural moment that we're in right now felt very relevant. <laughs> uh, very relevant to um, exactly what you wrote right there and just having a conversation about this idea um, of, yes, the, the politics of knowledge and um, also free knowledge and the tension between what seems like the tension between the two. And so um, I would love to unpack that. And maybe a place for us to start is, um, I know some of this is already out there, but do you mind sharing a little bit about Wikipedia, like what it started as or why you wanted to start it or um, not necessarily start, but why you and the people you were with wanted to start it and what you meant for it to be? Okay. Um, so uh, we first started working on Wikipedia itself um, in January of 2001, but um, the whole project really began a year before that. Um, that's when we started gathering the community that would become the Wikipedia community. Um, in 2000, when I was um, basically a co-founder and, and editor-in-chief of, of Newpedia. So um, the, I was hired by Jimmy Wales. Jimmy Wales was the CEO and one of three partners um, who owns Bomus, um, Bomus.com, B-O-M-I-S. I don't think they're around anymore. Um, and they had a number of little side projects. So one of the side projects that they wanted to do was to create a free encyclopedia similar to um, the, if you remember it, the open directory project. Um, so it, it functioned like the old uh, Yahoo directory, okay. uh, uh, web directory, but it was built um, by volunteers. Most of the volunteers, though, were collecting racy pictures of female celebrities, um, <laughs> and um, and they ended up expanding it with. Uh, that's Bomus I'm talking about. Yeah, right? yeah. They expanded Bomus with the contents of the Open Directory project. Okay, so um, and then they they thought it would be cool if we could do an actual free encyclopedia. It would be more legit anyway. So I got hired on to start it. Um, so uh, initially it was Wikipedia, or it was Newpedia rather. Mm -hmm. And so the idea behind it 
is one that all of us had and easy to get behind, um, especially for, for academics and intellectual types. Um, the whole idea of a free encyclopedia that is built by the public, so it's by and for the public, it's a democratic encyclopedia. Um, and uh, so without getting into the details um, of Wikipedia itself, on the, I, I learned about wikis um, at the beginning of January 2001, and uh, within a couple of weeks, Wiki software had been had been installed, and we were off to the races, um, mm -hmm. actually building it. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of groundwork before that, and uh, yeah, just it just took off. Now, the The original idea was to build an a knowledge repository, open to all to contribute to and to use. Um, and in this regard, and in a few others, like licensing, it would be similar to open um, source software development. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was the first really good example of open content development. Actually, ODP might be the first good example, the second example then. And what was going on with ODP, or what was that? Oh, open, uh, ODP, uh, Open Directory Project. Okay, yes, yes, and we're talking about versions of that before that, yeah that would probably be the first good example of open content and mm -hmm. wikipedia newpedia and wikipedia were the second yeah and you guys had a, a shared interest in doing this and making this but was there like a i don't know like a why or sort of a what was the desire or obviously you guys desired to do it together but like what was the why what were you hoping to provide for the world the public whatever like what were you trying to fix um I am not sure that I can speak to Jimmy Will's actual motivations. I'm not going to repeat what he says his motivations were because I already know that he is not sincere about many things. So what's the point? Um, I started working on it. I'll be completely honest because it was a really cool sounding job. Um, but uh, I got into it. I got into it so much that I ended up doing about half of the half of the years since then have been spent uh, one way or another on encyclopedia projects. The other mm -hmm. ones were other kind of reference and, and educational projects, mostly a um, little bit of college teaching. Um, but yeah, um, it's uh, really an inspirational idea that people are um, can be benefited. So it's such, it's the ultimate low hanging fruit, right? Yeah. The idea that, that uh, it's just sitting there ready to, to, uh, to be um, plucked off the tree um, and you're educating the world essentially. And mm -hmm. I actually think there's something to that. Um, I, I think that it began before that. I think mass media in general um, played a huge role in increasing um, education levels all around the world um, long before Wikipedia. And then the internet before Wikipedia, again, helped mm -hmm. a lot. But I think Wikipedia, just by itself, um, did have a, a tendency to 
to just uh, accelerate the process. Um, yeah. And I think this is one of the reasons why, you know, there is um, such dramatic improvements in educational attainments around the world. I'm not, I'm not saying Wikipedia is to, is exclusively to have the credit for that, but that was certainly the, one of the aims. Yeah. Um, aims that I would have had, one of the things that inspired me, I, I, I will say that Jimmy Wales said that was one of his aims too. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I will say this, Larry, I mean, I don't know where the company was at as far as you and um, if it had moved into way different uh, forms at this point, but in like, oh, four, oh, five, oh, six, um, that's, that was, those are my last years in high school. I graduated in oh, six. But anyway, um, throughout those years, I, uh, I remember teachers saying, it's okay if you use Wikipedia, just follow the sources out, which was interesting. It was pretty cool. But here's what happened. I was using it um, for some projects or papers at times. But what ended up happening, um, it was, and, and I don't know if I was a weird kid or whatever. I mean, you know, but I'm a high schooler, right? It's probably the last thing you would think a high schooler would do. I would go to Wikipedia uh, in the library. We didn't have internet at my home really um, until later. But anyway, I would go to the library and go to Wikipedia and just search the day that it was of the year. And just find things that happened that day, different world events and different things that happened. And I would just research them and read them. And it was such a, a lovely learning experience where I, and it was just this wide open world, but it was also like, it wasn't as wide open as just punching something into Google or whatever, right? It was, it was like very intentional and precise. It was so beneficial to me. Um, yeah, coming up, it was amazing. Amazing. Right. Right. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I agree. I'm I'm, uh, I'm glad that that uh, it helped you in that way. I've always said that Wikipedia is is very useful, um, just despite its problems. Um, I've never denied that it's useful. Yeah. So I want to get into some of the um, whether they're modern day tensions, but also some of the tensions that um, you saw before you started doing other things. Um, but were there any? Um, I don't mean interpersonal tensions. You mentioned stuff with Jimmy and we don't need to dive into all of that, but um, were there any tensions like whether in the development of it, um, they may be like hyper-technical and stuff and we can ask for definitions if we need, but what were some of the problems you ran into when you were trying to develop? Um, what's really, it's, it's not just a new idea because it's online, the whole formation of how you're kind of getting information out there and gathering it and that low hanging fruit way, it's new. So what sort of, um, what sort of problems did you run into at first in those first early years? Well, um, there were uh, a few different categories of problems. You know, there were problems in all categories, I suppose. Um, the ones that immediately come to mind are actually social. Um, they, they have to do with um, setting policy for um, what was soon to become one of the biggest resources for information online, period. Um, and uh, some people uh, expected it to be and wanted it to, to be just maximally anarchical. They didn't want there to be anything remotely resembling um, 
authorities or enforceable rules, um, which is frankly insane. It doesn't even make any sense, but it's, that's that's what <laughs> some people were after. And I, I was sort of, it was sort of my job in the first year to try to shut those people down. It was very difficult to do that um, mm -hmm. while not actually just booting them off the system, which is which is what we should have done much sooner. Yeah. Um, but uh, as a result, a lot of such people collected. Um, and uh, while the first adopters of Wikipedia came from Newpedia, which was a more academic sort of resource, the second group of people were very, very, mm, they, they were difficult to work with. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. Um, and uh, they really did, uh, they were quite sincere about wanting there to be as few rules as possible, to be as few uh, uh, as little as possible in the way of like kicking people out, stopping people from writing whatever they want to write. Mm -hmm. um, you would recognize them now. They were sort of like the the uh, proto social justice warriors. Um, mm -hmm. That's the way that I, I I think of them. When I first encountered people who were who um, for a very short while were calling themselves social justice warriors back in like. I think 2014 or so. Right. Um, right. For a very short time, they actually were calling themselves that. Um, and they struck me as being just like those first Wikipedia um, contributors. Um, and uh, so what, what can you say? Um, there needed to be some sort of um, a blessing on a didn't have to be a hierarchy, but it had to be a governance structure, right? Mm -hmm. That required ultimately that there be some sort of constitutional system. There needed to be an agreement about how the project was to be governed. And um, I didn't realize that. I did say, look, Wikipedia has to be as much an encyclopedia as a, as a community. So I have to think about the requirements of an encyclopedia. People were saying, well, yeah, but it's also a community. And um, I didn't pay enough attention to that. So I'm gonna take mm -hmm. some blame there. But I, I don't, I think it would have been very hard to, to get a lot of those early adopters to agree to any sort of um, constitutional system. Mm -hmm. um, well, we really should have gone into it with one. But yeah. again, in my defense, part of the problem was we didn't realize when, when you set up such a radically open system where each person can do what they want, when they want, on any page uh, on the website, and it's just there instantly. It doesn't have to go any through, through any sort of publishing process. Um, that this implies a, a kind of collective behavior, which ultimately 
is political. Um, yeah. The kind of politics is the politics of knowledge. Um, who's going to um, ultimately decide what is going to be said about a particular topic? That's the big question. Yeah. And Wikipedia still, still, even though they think they do, they still do not have um, an effective means of settling those questions. Yeah. The the uh, the fantasy that they came up with. That's I, I call that a, a fantasy advisedly. Um, is that um, you uh, settle disputes between entrenched parties um, by polling the community and um, working toward a consensus. Of course, consensus is impossible when you get a certain number of people. So the, what's the right. point in calling it consensus? Well, it gives the, the uh, cover of, of uh, virtue to the people who wield the power for whatever reason in the system of declaring what this consensus is. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. And it's, it's sad. And it's worked that way since 2002 or so. Yeah. So, um, and it's right. sort of a, uh, there's a lot of other problems too, but it gives a, um, it's so interesting. It gives sort of a faux, objectivity to it and like you said a virtue that it's sort of and whether or not hiding might not i don't mean to moralize it too much but it's something you can sort of hide behind and say um no we're doing we're doing everything right by people but what's interesting and we're running into this tension even at the level of um this is a it's it, this is a conversation about politics but the politics of knowledge like you said and we're seeing a similar manifestation about politics of even things like popular voting and electoral college at the national level right now. It's almost uh, November here in the United States, right? And and we're seeing this, and I see this conversation come up, and, and I think some of it's by well-meaning and well-intended people, but they might bring up something about, it feels, there does, it you something in your gut, in your like sort of justice equal, like lizard brain part of your like body that wants to say, no, things should be equal, right? And like, I want to make sure, that thing kicks in when you're like, wait, the people that voted the most don't get what they want. This feels wrong. And then it's like, well, we set up this system so that it couldn't be abused, like this majority idea. And the whole idea there is protecting the rights of a minority or those with like the most limited power, let's say, you know, and giving them and trying to give them the most opportunity in some respect. And it seems like uh, different but similar with Wikipedia. Um, that could have been the way it went, but really it's, I don't know if this is the case, but it seems like the current structure protects a majority and or a, uh, a select group of individuals' authority, right? Um, as opposed to um, the minority and some of the people that are creating the content at the level of you, I, whoever, just a user, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, and so, yeah. Wikipedia was, was a um, different from the other uh, systems because the the way that power is wielded on Wikipedia is not from it's, it's it definitely is not vested in the Wikimedia Foundation. So the Wikimedia Foundation does not give orders 
to the arbitration committee or the moderators or the rank and file editors, except when there are certain legal issues. Um, they will override people in that case. Mm -hmm. um, but those are very rare. And so for the most part, um, if you really want to understand why certain articles read the way they do today, um, it looks one way um, on the surface like it's all completely open. All you have to do is look at the edit history. Well, never mind that some of the edit history can be can be left out. Wow. Um, actually be oversighted. That means the lines of the log are actually permanently deleted. Wow. No longer to be seen by anyone. And then um, the other, uh, other way that you can check to see how it works is you go to a talk page. That's the commentary page or the discussion page um, for the article. And um, you can, you can, track some of the discussion and why things are as they are. But what's hard to track is why they come to the crazy decisions that they do sometimes, or just unreasonable decisions, if not totally crazy. Um, and, you know, uh, you, it looks like certain people seem to have authority that other people respect. And um, yeah, you have to kowtow to them if you want to get anything done. But well, who, who died and made those people king is the uh, attitude that. And at the level of the conversation around like a politic, for example, not just it, not just who died and made those people king. It's like unelected and unknown people, like you know, are unknown to like the general public in some respect, right? Um, to who might be pulling the string or adding the edit or swiping up or however you talked about sort of putting white out over the logarithm there or whatever. It's like, how, how in the world uh, or who in the world are some of these people? And then how are they coming to their decisions? Some of that feels, or all, all of that to me, at least as just a person feels totally unknown. You know, I have no idea. Um, yeah. yeah. And there's some evidence that, the, that uh, some of those people are, working full-time that they are paid by who knows what um, large corporate entities um, contractors who are paid by such entities um, governments who knows spies easily it definitely has to be if you think about it because now a lot of yeah. spy crap this is not crazy conspiracy talk here. This mm -hmm. is basic spying 101. A lot of spycraft these days is information warfare. It begins and ends with information warfare for a lot of what goes on. And you think they don't use Wikipedia when Wikipedia is right there and you can um, operate uh, out in the open under the, under the cover of anonymity? Sure, mm -hmm. they're going to use that. Right? And right. Then the question is, do they use it? The question is, how do they use it? What actually is the, is the, are, are the methods that they use? 
I'm not saying it's all spies. Of course, there's also a lot of a lot of political flax. There's also a lot of, of corporate hacks. Um, and then, of course, there's a lot of just rank and file partisans. Um, and all of those people have their own special, extremely aggressively um, defended agendas. And they're going to shut up anybody who doesn't follow um, in line behind them. Yeah. Now, this is the main reasons why the, one of the big criticisms that I have of Wikipedia today, um, one of the, the most important criticisms to make of the politics of knowledge behind Wikipedia is that the administrators are anonymous. You cannot know the real-world identities of the people who run, um, nominally even, the, the, um, the world's biggest information repository. That's is, is that, do they have like a justification or reason for that at all? Uh, or is there like a pump? Yeah, if you ask them, what they'll say is, well, you know, um, uh, it's dangerous to be the, the an editor of, of Wikipedia. Um, um, that's like being doxxed, man. Um, I don't want to be doxxed for my volunteer uh, labor. That would just like drive away all of the administrators, is what they say. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it wouldn't. Um, yeah. It would also yeah. make them accountable. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. Yeah. This is and, this is in or uh, you, you go ahead and finish your thought. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I think I, I more or less finished it there. Okay. Well, I think this is an interesting line of conversation because I think a lot of the conversation around what is Wikipedia, but then it also, and so it's this sort of not crowdsourced, but it's sort of a, a, a population generated encyclopedia and participated. It's an edited. It's is a fascinating idea, and the tension that seems to come up in people's minds, especially if you were to put it into like a. Uh, pop culture narrative is, well, what about like fake news? Isn't this just a repository or a way to manufacture whatever story you want, you know, and to, to change the story, so to speak, and all the rest? And maybe we can dive into that a little bit. But what I find interesting is that's sort of the low-level popular culture conversation is, well, what about people just changing the Wikipedia? And I think the idea is the spies will just come in and edit the post and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, nope. There's partisans like behind the curtain, you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, there might be partisans playing games on like the public version of Wikipedia, but at the level of moderator and like you said, content uh, curators, we might even say behind the scenes. Why do we assume that there's no partisans back there or there's nothing like that? You know what I mean? It's, uh, it sort of distracts us from that bigger conversation, which might even be the more important one, which is the one you're having right now. And uh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. Right. Right, right, right. Did, uh, did you guys, you mentioned that you had like your own version of um, what's now a pejorative, as we talked about, social justice warrior types, like editing and, uh, or just kind of providing a, a foundational idea of chaos into the system, right? Like that was the idea, this sort of anarchic uh, mentality. Um, did you run into things like what gets called today like fake news or are people trying to not just destroy it in ways that are like haha funny funny um but people that were trying or put chaos in there for the laughs but people that were also just subtly changing things or like you know doing it for the partisan reasons we were talking about yes um for sure uh 
it's um, so it's it's changed, uh, but in in the beginning there was actually a lot more of uh, bomb throwing and and um, and vandalism on on Wikipedia. Um, so those are actually a lot of the, the people that I had to deal with in the, in the first year of the project. Um, people who would come in and just like write dirty words on, on in the article or, or just change it to to you know insult the, their political opponent or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that was easy to get rid of. Um, we did get rid of such people just by by uh, blocking their account and if necessary, if they didn't use a, an account, sometimes we would we would ban their IP address. Mm -hmm. um, they still do that today. Um, yeah, but uh, now they they uh, they never did um, tolerate the more open and obviously disruptive behavior of that sort. Um, and it, it never was, to be perfectly honest, uh, the more obvious, obviously disruptive behavior, the actual vandalism, the, the people who are inserting what is obviously personal opinion or, or crazy theories nobody had ever heard of or um, of their own personal theories into articles. Um, yeah, that, that was fairly easy to get rid of. Um, the latter category actually sometimes took longer than it should have. Um, but uh, eventually that stuff was also tamped down. Um, and the uh, then there was a new sort of problem, um, which had always been a problem on Wikipedia, um, which is basically that there was a focus on news only from particular sources. Um, when it came to topics in, in politics or um, any topics that had some sort of political or social, um, religious, um, uh, and occasionally just philosophical connection, um, there, there would be people who would only cite certain sources and they would not cite other sources. Um, those people have won 100% on Wikipedia. Um, yeah. And now they claim on Wikipedia the mantle of neutrality. It's like our position is the neutral position. <laughs> um, and well, it's, it's silly, but that is what they say. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay, well, sure, we'll, we'll allow a, a certain, uh, you know, representation of the debate as long as it is um, we are reporting on something that is uh, characterized adequately in the mainstream media or in mainstream academic sources, especially secondary academic sources like textbooks, for example, or tertiary. Um, so and that, well, obviously that's uh, that's a problem because that that means as the as the selection of sources becomes more and more restricted, the point of view, the points of view that are allowed become more and more restricted. That's how they always wanted it, 
um, the, the opponents of neutrality, and that's what they got in the end. Mm. So, um, and like yeah, you it's said, like, it's... While, Wikipedia was pretty neutral from about, from uh, its, its beginning, at least we, we weren't always neutral, but from the beginning we were trying to be, until about, I would say, something like 2006, 2008, and then there was a fairly slow shift until about 2015 or so, maybe a little bit earlier, when Wikipedia, it wasn't just biased, because it had been biased back in like 2006. You could go to the article and you could see some definite, perhaps subtle in many cases, uh, but definite biases. By the time 2014 rolled around, it was blatant. They were just stating things as if they were facts, which were just opinions on one side. And now it's gotten even worse. It's gotten actually quite a bit worse over the last few years. Like, so the, the bias was already blatant by like 2015. But now it, it sounds like propaganda a lot. Mm. It's not just yeah. biased. It's not just like CNN. Okay, so the, the level of bias of Wikipedia in like 2013 or 2014 was like CNN reporting. Mm -hmm. um, now it's more like, you know, um, a, a Huffington Post rant, practically. Um, it's 100% one-sided. They, they don't pull any punches when it comes to stating their honestly held opinions about things. They do not care at all about giving equal, um, any sort of equal time to the opposition, if the opposition is an opposition simply based on ideological grounds. There's absolutely no ideological uh, balance at all. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that also goes for, for things like, the, you know, theology. Go and re read about theology there. You're going to get liberal academic theology. You're not going to get any, any, um, th there might be some representations, especially in specialist, specialized topics, um, because they, they haven't gotten around to editing those articles. Because sure. Because of the articles, like, you know, uh, Encyclopedia Britannica 1911 or, or some, some other, um, you know, uh, out of, uh, out of copyright, you know, handbook of, of uh, theology or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, no, and that is such a man. Uh, there is like the adages about information and knowledge just being connected up with power, and it is that's a fascinating, um, what you just talked about there, like structuring it, and even a lot of it might come down to just how you one would define neutrality, right? And so, it's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna try and be quote unquote neutral. And so we're going to go with like these types of verified sources and it has to meet these types of requirements. And your all of your requirements, again, like at the at the level of speech and rhetoric, it's like, well that's good. You're trying to like extra strength verify everything. That that's a good goal. Um, but then you realize that, wait, you're just narrowing the ideological window here to being sort of one dimensional. And uh, to where uh, essentially someone who has, whether a different ideological bent or just didn't jump through whatever hoop you put in there, 
um, and not just arbitrarily, but it seems like intentionally, you've made it impossible for them to even contribute or to be considered a reliable source, right? And it's like, that's, uh, it's, what's interesting, Larry, is it is, it, it borders on, or it seems conspiratorial, but it's not some goofy, like far out uh, history channel theory or something. It's like, no, it's just literally conspiring on information. Like that is what it is. Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's not, there's no uh, conspiracy theory involved here. There's, there's no a crime. It's not behind the scenes, what I've mm-hmm. described so far. It's all open, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's also not news. Um, it's just that it's, uh, the, the effects are being felt much more uh, keenly right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they've become more extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and there's, there's one other aspect of the, of the bias that I, that's more subtle, and a lot of people don't, don't know about this, haven't, have, haven't um, caught it. But there is uh, a, a strong, uh, editors of Wikipedia are strongly encouraged not to use primary sources uh, for academic articles. Um, but instead to use like secondary sources, um, textbooks, review articles, and things like this. And this is, this is not always, not always you can find uh, plenty of articles that cite primary sources. They don't, they don't block them. But the idea is they, uh, um, especially for like current disputes, right? Um, if you're allowed to cite primary sources, then you're basically opening up the the door to just any old professor coming in and saying what his view is. And that's, you know, there are so many different views on so many different academic topics that Mm -hmm. of course that's that's actually to be, uh, that's a problem. That's a problem to solve. People will come there and just selfishly promote their, their theories over, over others all out of proportion to the importance of, of the theory um, in the academic marketplace, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that being said, this is used to silence theories that people don't like, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, so in the same way that there are preferred sources in mass media, there's also preferred sources in, or types of sources, I should say, in um, more academic uh, topics. Right. So again, you're not, just to, to um, talk about something that you talk about, since you're a theologian, or at least you've studied theology, right? So um, there's uh, not a lot of attention given to um, the usual sort of Bible-believing um, traditionalist understandings of theological topics. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, everything is filtered through um, modern academic theology, mm-hmm. um, which tends to be very liberal. Yeah. So, and I could see, Larry, is it interesting? I could see... Um, if I were in like trying to play for lack of a better term, like devil's advocate on it, it's like, I could see someone saying, well, 
part of the reason why we like these secondary and sort of commentary level resources is because that's closer to what Wikipedia is supposed to be. It's supposed to be sort of a, a collective creation thing, yada, yada. And it's like, oh, well, in that sense, like, great. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, you're, again, it's, it's like rhetoric versus like implication. And some of it might even be like known, like if we do this, then this will happen. But some of it might be just like the uh, unintended consequences of people who weren't thinking things all the way through or whatever, or had a short-term goal. And then I don't know, but there's like, there's something to the idea of like, I could see someone saying that like this lets us continue to be what we want to be, which is sort of a commentary, not so much a, a universal long time ago authoritative source. We want to be like a collective group. Okay, sure. But then the, uh, <laughs> the tension is again, it, it narrows the ideological window in all the ways you said, where so much of my like training and schooling is going to be in hyper-specialized schools. You know, if, if I'm not going to become some sort of liberal theologian, which isn't just a, that's not so much a political thing as much as it is your view of uh, scripture and how you'd interact with it and all the rest. Right. But if you're going to go that way, um, you go towards some of these academic routes you're saying typically. And so you, all of a sudden you're narrowing the ideological window again, whether you meant to or not, that is what you're doing. You know? Um, yeah. yeah. Right. So uh, I don't know if, um, what about, you mentioned before that this is, I don't know if you use the word dangerous, but it's um, it has massive implications on modern culture and all the rest and just people today, how we get information, right? Wikipedia is one of the top links to anytime you search anything, it feels like on Google, right? Um, you're going to get a Wikipedia link with a little short snippet. It is central to our information gathering, our fast facts, everything. Um, I'm sure there's implications there you have feelings about, but what else? How does this inform, um, yeah, or how does this impact the culture? Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I understand the question. How, how does Wikipedia in general impact the culture? Well, so let's say this. I'll be more specific. We have this ideological narrowing we could talk about, uh, the way we talked about, sorry, this ideological narrowing. But also at the same time, I, I think Wikipedia has just been on, uh, I don't know if, it, I, don't, I haven't followed its growth chart or whatever, but it doesn't seem, doesn't seem like it's ever stopped growing and lost importance. It's only gotten bigger and more integral to just, again, if you Google something, you, you're going to get Wikipedia definition probably at the top of the page. So that's a thing, right? So that's all happening on, at one level. On another level, though, uh, it has this ideological narrowing that's happening at the same time as it's like massive growth and all the rest. So that seems like it would have an impact on culture or at least um, how we view information and authoritative sources, right? I, I would think that the sort of ideological narrowing, that's a good way of putting it, um, of Wikipedia uh, mirrors the ideological narrowing of of the mainstream media, um, the in in just the way that conservative voices um, have come to be just systematically excluded from um, mainstream media, with the exception, with a, a few exceptions, um, the, uh, the the same thing is happening on on Wikipedia. Wikipedia is definitely contributing. Um, therefore, to the same sort of thing, 
but because it's um, because the scope of Wikipedia is so much broader um, than the rest of of uh, the media um, in that. You know, it's a general encyclopedia, whereas like that media culture is focused mostly on news, current mm -hmm. events, um, topics of, of uh, uh, current interest. Um, yeah, I think um, there is something to be said that uh, it could ultimately um, uh, work and influence on uh, on what is believed ultimately um, mm -hmm. that would be comparable to uh, the influence of, uh, of the education system being taken over by the left. Mm -hmm. right? Basically, that's, that's a fact. Right. Um, the, the, uh, the education system has been taken over by the left a long time ago, um, but it's gotten worse, just steadily worse. And just like the rest of the culture, by all accounts, it's gotten a lot worse in the last like 10 years or so. Um, so, and Wikipedia is, is partaking in that. So, um, yeah, uh, it's sad. I, uh, I don't know, what do you want to ask about that or talk about that? It's a thing for sure. Yeah. Wikipedia is is contributing to a um, the spreading of a certain mindset. You know, if you want me to describe it, um, that might be interesting. Yeah, um, let's yeah the hive mind and some of this stuff. Let's talk about this. Yeah, right. It, it is a globalist. It is a either a secular or highly highly ecumenical like not not just uniting christian denominations but uniting all of religion mm -hmm. type of thing mm -hmm. spiritual <laughs> um it's uh it's politically left obviously um and then uh, there are applications of of this um, mindset in many different fields. Like when you're talking about, say, education, then you're talking about what's called progressive education. So um, there, the, the leading light was John Dewey and all of sure. his uh, all of his philosophical successors. Um, and then um, in uh, I don't know um, in theology, there we have things like liberation theology and every other kind of, of, uh, of um, left-wing sort of theology being presented, uh, not just that, but just liberal theology generally. And those, those so often, Larry, tend to be, um, the irony of ironies is so often they uh, pit themselves, unlike liberation theology in particular and others, they pit themselves as sort of an antithesis or an answer to um, what will we, what might we call it? Um, uh, like in, uh, empire versions of theology. So like Christendom versions of theology, they're sort of an answer to those bad versions of not just the world, but especially those, uh, where politics and theology mix. That's the clear way of saying it. 
but they in and of themselves are a mix of politics and theology, right? And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's not an answer, that's for sure. It's my personal opinion, but yeah. Right. yeah. And the, the same sort of thing goes for, for the uh, arts and humanities, generally. Um, so um, in the same sort of, of uh, approaches to literature can be seen in, in Wikipedia and you know, in uh, the education world, where it's not about understanding the meaning of the author, it's about uh, understanding the political impact of the book. Um, it's about understanding and unpacking the the uh, nefarious biases um, that that the person was working with, and um, the the beauty of the language or uh, the, the uh, you know, allowing kids just to be edified by the sentiments and explaining them and so forth is just not the priority anymore. And that also, that sort of attitude is definitely re reflected now in, in Wikipedia. So you can just go through the list of, of uh, everything and there is now, uh, it's a new, um, it's a new zeitgeist. Um, yeah. it, it is the zeitgeist of the, of the new left, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, but it's, you know, it's the 21st version of that. And uh, that is, um, Wikipedia is 100% on board with that now. That's and what's so, what's so concerning about it is <clears throat> this happens at the level of generations of the change, but even within, uh, a single person or a single generation, when you create such an echo chamber with all of these uh, variable confirmations, you know, and you get your confirmation bias developed and all these different things start happening, um, it does make a contrarian voice and not even an extreme one, just a, a disagreeing voice. Uh, doesn't just feel like, oh, that's not common sense to me anymore. It feels like violating to reality because your reality has been so curated in this sort of confirmed way where now anything that would disconfirm it feels like we got to get that out of here because that it, it it makes extreme what would be sort of normal disagreement if that makes sense and uh, because it's so unheard of in an echo chamber right um it's so it's not even ever interacted with and so that exacerbates we might say polarization but it especially confirms people's tribalisms right and uh yeah i'll tell you i, I can tell you stories um, that's very much apropos to what you're saying here. Um, so I went to um, college that's close to where your church is um, in Portland, Oregon, Reed College. Mm. It's actually been in the news in the last few years um, when they got rid of, they had like um, big protests um, of the, the freshmen who wanted the uh, uh, Reed's um, traditional uh, humanities sequence to be changed. Um, and they wanted to get rid of this Greece and Rome stuff. It's like, that's all irrelevant. And it, you know, you're just, you're just um, amplifying the voices of dead white men rather than the people who really matter today. Um, and, uh, so 
Um, they they uh, greatly changed that at the time. So back in 20, well, when I went there, like I graduated in 1986, um, it was still one of the most liberal colleges in the country. Um, and the idea of political correctness was, um, I remember hearing that word when I was there in the, in the early to mid eighties. Um, and then it was actually used in a non-ironic sense. It's like, you know, um, and uh, that was like one of the, one of the origins of that. Wikipedia, uh, Reed has become so, um, uh, has become so radical, even compared to where it was, it, uh, I can't interact with the people there anymore at all. So I was on um, Facebook before I permanently quit Facebook uh, about 18 months ago. Um, uh, and I was on the Reed College um, alumni group. Now, the Reed College alumni group, um, it wasn't called the alumni group. It was dominated by alumni and occasionally a current student would show up. Um, but then a whole bunch of current students just one year just showed up. Um, and uh, they started talking uh, about their pet issues. Uh, at the time, 2013, 2014, they included things like trigger warnings, if you remember those. Yeah. Um, they included, um, I think that was the main one, but there was quite a, quite a bit about trans rights. Um, and and uh, and so forth. Um, there were some people who uh, who were definitely liberals, but they were more centrist, or at least they were closer to the center than, than the the radicals, especially these radical students. And I was sort of on their side. Um, and there was this this debate, and. Um, in the end, right, when I would just state my opinion, which wasn't terribly radical, right, um, uh, I, um, it, but it was, you could tell that I was more of a libertarian. Um, but uh, things got so bad, basically, that, um, it was hard for me to say very much without basically being ganged up on by a whole bunch of, of especially new students. And I would end up having to block people who just would not stop attacking me, yeah. um, saying all kinds of just incredibly mean-spirited and stupid things. Um, mm. And... Uh, in the end, it, it, as it turns out, people that I thought were more moderate and um, decent um, started saying things, uh, crit critical things about me, um, uh, not just critical, but, but just insulting. Mm -hmm. Again, I, I mean, Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I was saying anything terribly out there. I was just stating an opinion. Some of my opinions were 
definitely, definitely sounding um, uh, traditionalist or maybe conservative sometimes, um, often libertarian. But that was enough, actually. So there was one yeah. professor, a couple of professors, in fact, who, who um, uh, there's one who was a professor when I was there. He is now quite old, and he came out and, and attacked me. And I was like, that was, uh, that was disillusioning. I never had him as a professor. Um, but clearly, he had been influenced by the, um, the more radical of the alumni, especially young alumni, and the new students. Um, and uh, it was a way to curry favor with the, the people who were getting all of the attention, mm -hmm. um, basically to attack the guy who is outside of the mainstream, because uh, I was outside of the mainstream there. Right. Um, so, yeah, and at, at, at a certain point, I've said, I, I just said, this is not any fun anymore. Um, and it was interesting to talk to certain people who were there, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, and I just, I just uh, quit. And, um, and then, just a, a year or two later, the, the, the freshman um, revolted against the, the humanities sequence, as I was describing before. Mm -hmm. And uh, Reed College capitulated. Um, they still have uh, a very weak version uh, of, of the humanities in which they, they covered both Greece and Rome in the first semester, which is, I mean, that's crazy. It's impossible, um, yeah. For that matter, they also, they also cover um, ancient e Egypt and, and um, uh, I think they read Gilgamesh too. So it's, mm -hmm. give me a break. Can't do all that in one semester. Right. Um, so, uh, and then they have another semester about, you know, other topics in, you know, more modern um, humanities. Stuff that probably mm -hmm. matters, for sure. Especially yeah. Some but it isn't the foundations of Western civilization because they don't want that. Right. Yeah. There is a, obviously, there's a lot to talk about there with um, critical theories in general and how they are completely changing uh, especially higher ed, but it's not only higher ed. It's definitely, I don't know that we call it a trickle down. There's a, an intentional emphasis to change ed in general from high school and, um, and even down to elementary with some of these ideas you're talking about, which is not, not good. And I want to actually, I want to piggyback on your story, Larry, because um, it's helpful to kind of frame where I think we might be able to land the plane. So earlier you said something to the effect of you're sort of assessing that question I asked about, like what kind of impact does, if Wikipedia continues to do what it does, which is grow in influence and importance, but also have an ideological narrowing, what kind of impact would it have on culture? And you sort of started mentioning um, the impacts it could have are all over the place, but kind of got to this sort of sad place. Where you're like, I don't know what to do or what we say, you know, like this is like, this is intense, you know? And so um, I think what's interesting is I think some of what you were up to there at, uh, or trying to do with this group of alumni and, and some current students from Reed College is some of what some of what I think we can do, especially at the level of people that aren't um, able to create websites like you and others, right? And so just at the level of a general person, I think trying to get into the room and uh, be a normal human would be great. And, and they're not, 
but you know what I mean, not, a not ideological actor, like to be a fully human person who has opinions that are diverse and complex and not just predictable and monolithic and uh, hive-minded and stuff. So you did that. And the problem is, though, is that there are just some environments where that just, it feels like it literally can't live, you know, and you experience that, right, um, with sort of when things get so far gone or so extreme. And uh, I want to... I wonder, um, I'll share an example. I'll try and be brief with this, but I want to share why I think we should do what you're doing. And maybe we can give some examples as we close for what that might look like. But I'll share an example from cognitive science about why I think we need to do that, um, that I'm borrowing from a professor named John Verbeke. And then I'll share um, a little bit of theology that I think, you know, from my world that I think kind of makes sense of the same thing. And then we can kind of bring it down to the ground. So within... Um, John has this idea, he talks about, I was calling it ideological narrowing earlier, but he, he talks about it as reciprocal narrowing. But the idea uh, more simply is, at the level of our body, let's say, even down to your heart, uh, your heart is constantly giving life and taking life, right? Like that's what it's doing. And your lungs are doing the same thing. They're constantly giving life and taking life at the same time. And they're in that sort of balance slash tension, right? But if you bring that up, that's sort of a a physical reality, but if you bring that up to your mind and your mental reality, your mind is also in this constant tension with itself, with what it knows, to be sure, and then sort of the things that are unknown to it, right? And it's in a constant dialogue with itself, and um, yeah, a constant dialogue with itself. And what happens there is if, one, I mean, um, gosh, I'm losing the phrase now that I just wanted to bring up. So we have reciprocal narrowing, right? And then we have, oh, that's what it is, sorry, opponent processing, excuse me, opponent processing. And that's what's happening at your heart, your lungs, and your mind is opponent processing. Um, but now what we have, uh, and then that, ideally speaking, is how human beings relate to each other. There are some people that are more open to new experience. There are some people who are more naturally conservative. Jonathan Haidt talks about some of this in some ways I agree with and some that I don't, but the idea that you have so much nature to you that contributes to your affinity for politics, right? So you're, you're naturally more conservative, so conservative politics makes sense to you, but it's, it's not so much a nurtured thing. And so anyway, you get into that, and uh, you have this opponent processing that's now turning into adversarial processing. It's us versus them. It's no longer like we, it's us versus them at the level of just how we relate to each other. Very tribal and very polarized. And I think a remedy to it is to try and get people in room and in spaces. Face-to-face -face is way more, it's way better than online because online is too convenient. All of the social cues are taken away. Um, all of the um, risk is taken away, um, even down to things that are like subconscious. Like if you get really heated with you and say terrible things to your face, Larry, like you may not be someone who fights normally, but like if you get heated enough and I say terrible things enough, you may like, put off a vibe that you're ready to throw down, you know? <laughs> and so that's a social pressure that happens within like, into, like it happens when you're talking with people face to face. And anyway, we're losing this as we go more online. And that's sort of a complicated argument, but I do think that we need to have that sort of complementary processing as opposed to adversarial, which we're dealing with. And right, uh, yeah. So just to comment on, on that first bit uh, I was uh, part of an organization I helped them get off the ground called um, NCIV 
or at least that's the name of the web website. Um, and they are trying to create sort of, uh, let's see here if I, if I can find it. It's enciv.org. Um, that's the one. Um, NCIV. And they are all about like connecting people on, uh, on both sides of the aisle, um, not just to be um, neutral, but, but deliberately go out and find other points of view and bring them together. Again, deliberately trying to do that, not just allowing it to happen if people want it to happen, mm -hmm. but making it happen. Yeah. Um, and and uh, I think there's some value to to doing that so, sort of um, proactively. Of course, I, I think first you have to allow for neutrality in the first place, which is the right. problem, right? Exactly. Uh, and the the difficulty right now, I mean, as much as I support them, which I do for sure. Um, my concern is that they're, you know, swimming uh, against the current and going downstream fast and just slowing the the the, uh, the speed at which they, they go downstream. It's um, it, 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 the problem is that um, yes, people are massively in conflict today. Um, from my point of view, there's one side that wants to work a fundamental change in, um, in Western liberal society, um, what has been called liberal society um, or liberal democracy. They, they just want to replace it altogether. And that's the priority right now. They don't care about dialogue, period. Mm -hmm. Why would I want to dialogue with those people who watch Fox? And on the other hand, on the other side, those people um, who watch Fox and other sources, um, they'll say, I, why would I want to dialogue with those people who are going to do nothing but attack me, right? So first you have to have an agreement that you want to have a dialogue before right. you can actually have a dialogue. Most people don't want to have a dialogue. And mm. I guess you'd have to persuade them that you should. Um, but uh, originally, um, you know, like for many, many decades of this country, there were two parties that, that more or less happily shared power. That was the system. Nobody really called it into great question, except a few libertarians and socialists. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was... But it doesn't work that way anymore at the political level, um, which is really a, a reflection probably of a deeper, longer lasting um, culture war. Yes. Right? So um, as much as I want to agree with you, and also with the, the NCIV um, guys, um, I have to say, um, how is that going to happen? How could it possibly happen? I mean, mm. um, that's like saying, well, you know, we just need to have a friendlier dialogue on the issues in 1860. 
right? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> On the eve of the Civil War. Um, it's, um, okay, even if you do manage to, to get people together, it's going to be like um, a diplomatic negotiation between uh, soon-to-be warring sides, mm. as opposed to whatever else you want to do. Yeah. Um, so there's a deeper problem here. I'm, I'm not, I mean, anyway, you're going to say something else and I interrupted. So I'll, no, I'll that's a, that's an excellent, um, it's not even a, I mean, it's a pushback, but it's almost a clarification. Like it's bleak, right? Like <laughs> to even like suggest this is like, is not to say, oh, well, if we just do a couple of things, it'll be fixed. It's like, it's really bleak. Even if you do the right thing, it may do almost nothing other than slow down the inevitable, like you said. And so um, I am aware of that. And um, I guess it's a risk worth taking. Or I've been saying this, I, I mentioned to you before, Larry, that I've, um, I've survived cancer here as of now. Um, and something, I've taken away many lessons from that, right? And one thing has been, um, I care, I would love to live as long as possible, sure. But I care way less about living a long life than I do a meaningful one. Like that's that's my chief end goal, concern, et cetera, is living a meaningful life. Um, if, if at the end of my life I could say, oh yeah, I heaved in and out air for 40 some years and I accomplished, I had some kids, I did a couple of things, but I don't really know what I, like why I did any of that. Like that is not... Uh, something I'm super interested in personally um, at all. Yeah, and so, yeah. A point there that I like to make is um, if, if, if some soldier um, dies fighting for his country or um, saving some people or trying to save some people in a fire at the age of 22, do we say that person had a, a meaningless life? <clears throat> no. Right. The sacrifice actually made their life profoundly meaningful. <clears throat> Um, and that's important. We celebrate the lives of such people. I'm yes. sad about it, for sure. They did not waste their lives, is the point. Right. Um, and, and what they did is as honorable as what somebody who has a whole lifetime of, of accomplishment and dies at 80, you know, age 85 or 90 or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Nassim Tlaib has a quote talking about, it's one of his little aphorisms, which are sometimes helpful and sometimes frustrating and some, sometimes both and whatever. But he has this quote, and he says, um, that, you know, an ancient man used to be concerned with dying an honorable death. Like that was a big chief concern for them. The modern man's chief concern is just that they not die. And uh, that feels very relevant to our reactions or interactions with COVID, with politics, with so much of what we're up to, it's it's not even, it's not dying like an honorable death, which would mean that you had a meaningful life. Like the two are interconnected, right? And like you said, or you like dying as, as a firefighter, like trying to rescue someone, maybe you do, but you die in the process. And it's like, it's honorable, it's a meaningful life, and it's an honorable death. Uh, but yeah, modern man seems to be mostly concerned with just not dying. That That's the goal. You know, and it's like, that's not... That's not a great goal. Um, anyway, um, but so, I'll, I'll, but I'll share, like you said, we, we sort of jumped off on that topic, which is helpful because it is a good clarification. But I'll share sort of a theological emphasis that I think 
maybe this will give some of the why, even though it's bleak, even though it's not, um, yeah, even though it's a difficult situation, I think that we should do it. And I think we should do it because I think it's part of just what it is to be human. And um, this is some high level theology, but I'll make it as simple and practical as possible. The, um, with some of the most foundational parts of theology to Christian theology as it developed were one, the idea of the Trinity, we crazy complex, very hard to understand, and maybe not even fully understandable as much as it is continually discovered, right? Um, and also the idea of the incarnation. Now, within both of those, what's fascinating is within the Trinity, you have perfect one and perfect many. So it's Father, Son, and Spirit, um, individual, perfectly, each one of those, but also the perfect many in that it's more than just one. So then it's complicated. Well, which is it, one or many? And it's like, it's it's both, and they live in a community of love. And John, in his epistles and all throughout his gospel, says God is love, right? Um, and Augustine, you know, um, very early church thinker and church um, father in certain streams, he said, uh, if God is love, the Father is a lover, the Son is the beloved, and the Spirit is the love communicated. And then people started thinking more about that idea that everything that is, is an overflow of that love. So everything that's created has sort of that DNA in it, that it can be perfect one and perfect many at the same time, right? And so I think humanity can and should be that. Um, and What's interesting, and I, I think this is real, I was just talking with another um, theologian about this the other day. I think so much of our political issues, our conservatives can do a pretty good job of per focusing in on the perfect one idea, right? And this is why I think it's just in our bones, like some of these things. On the what? On the perfect one idea that if you were to say there's perfect one and perfect many, and like this is sort of foundational, not just to God, but if the overflow of humanity is created in the image of God, there's this theological idea from the book of Genesis. So if we're created in the image of God, that means so many things. But one thing it means is we're created in the image of a perfect one, perfect many, community of love, God, right? Com confusing, but I think that makes sense. And so conservatives tend to do a good job at focusing on the one. And the, the more left and liberal types tend to do a good job at trying to focus on the many. And maybe good job is not the right way of putting it, but they have a hyper focus on the one and on the many sometimes. And uh, anyway, um, I think a remedy to that, I really do. And that's why I think it's deep to our DNA. And even though it's bleak, um, culture is accelerated right now. The internet is contributing to that information, like things like Wikipedia and media are contributing to that. Everything's accelerated. I think um, if enough people participated in that, it would be like, it would be a very bright light because things are so dark. You know, if enough people actually lived in some sort of community um, where perfect one and perfect many leaning people uh, got along, not just got along, but benefited each other, made each other better. It would be lovely. And uh, so anyway, um, of course, I'm going to say that because I'm a pastor, right? But at some level, um, there's, we have a thing here called community is just what we call it. And we, we gather groups of people in homes, but we do it based on, um, throughout the week, let's say they're, they're meeting in homes, sharing meals together, tabling together, they're living life together. They're sharing what they have with one another. Um, and then they also gather on Sundays, all the communities, especially when it's not COVID will gather together on Sunday. But what's interesting is we organize it by geography. So it's not like affinity or interest based, you know? 
So what you end up having is you have people shoulder to shoulder sharing a meal together. They all brought food to the table together, which is a physical but phenomenological experience to contribute to the same meal. And then to table and look across and share like equalization there with each other. And now you're like, gosh, we are way more similar than we are different. You know, we may have some different ideas and I may like be more uh, high on the care and concern spectrum, you know, open to new experiences. But I need people like you because people like that are more conservative, like run a company and they don't cook the books because they don't imagine outside the lines. You know what I mean? So there's practical aspects to this, but I think doing that, that's my pitch. My pitch is for like uh, church, et cetera. And you mentioned, so I don't know how helpful that is for others that are listening, but um, I think uh, churches that are committed to that can help. Um, Cause I think it's deep to being human. I think it's the image we're made in, but you were mentioning um, NC, or, uh, NCIV, is that what it was as a, an idea? NCIV.org. Yeah. Yes. And um, what have you experienced? You've been trying to, you're, you're still working. You're not curled up in a ball, like just giving up. So you're writing books and stuff. How else are you trying to contribute to what is a real problem? Um, um so, uh, uh, one thing that I think is uh, is a, a, con a contribution to to the uh, problem that you or opportunity, I guess you could say that that you uh, raise is the uh, um, is the encyclosphere. It's a network of encyclopedias. Um, but but I I did want to make one one um, response to mm -hmm. what you had to say there, and that is that. Um, in order to get people together and actually have a meaningful conversation and, um, uh, and not, just, not just for it to be a one-time thing, but actually to forge a community, there, I mean, it's an old point and uh, maybe boring, but I, that's because it's the perennial truth for sure. Um, it's that there needs to be shared values in order to yes. have a, a, a community to build on. And what I hear you saying is essentially, well, we do have shared values, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I hope you're right. <laughs> I, I think you're right. Um, I, I think uh, certainly you, you could find that like at... Uh, uh, any particular church, but when you are when you're trying to make a, a dialogue among people who are drawn from radically different parts of society, bring them all together to have a conversation, especially if it's a conversation about politics. It's probably going to be a one-time thing these days because people will focus on the on their differences. Maybe they shouldn't. In fact, probably they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. um, the, maybe the similarities are more important. Maybe that's the thing that we need to to uh, to remember and not forget. I think that's true, actually. Um, but they will. That's going to be the the result, and um, so for any such endeavor to succeed, there'd have to be an agreement up front that when we are having this 
discussion, we're going to focus on our similarities more than we do on our differences. Mm -hmm. And forget the differences, we're going to um, we're going to focus on the similarities. Mm -hmm. Of course, none of this sounds like it's quite Christian to tell the truth. Christians are judgmental, um, sure. advisedly. They they um, there are certain certain things that uh, that matter and ought to matter for everyone mm -hmm. um, in their view, um, and uh, certain things that are non-negotiable. You don't break bread with certain kinds of people, even although Jesus did. Um, yeah, I know it's a very deep uh, problem. So uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about about um, yes. Well, uh, the encyclosphere. I, I, I bring it up in um, chapter ten only uh, of of the book here, um, introducing the encyclosphere. And uh, so um, the idea is this: um, Wikipedia is a uh, centralized community, uh, if you want to call it that. Um, they, um, it's just a single website. If you want to contribute to the world's greatest encyclopedia, you have to go there and work with those people using their rules. And if we've learned anything um, from trying to start various internet communities, it is that no single internet community uh, works for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and even if you try to make something that is very broad and is maximally inviting to everyone, like say Twitter was 10 years ago, um, then um, there's still gonna be a lot of people who are put off by the format or whatever. If you really want to get everybody in the world together to share their opinions on their own terms um, and to share their knowledge on their own terms or what they think is knowledge anyway, um, then what we need is not a website or a startup. We need a network, all right? So what if we were to just gather all the encyclopedia articles in the world together, put them all into a single database, or at least make them available via the same format, uh, the same shared format, um, and then people could write apps on top of that, mm -hmm. that uh, shared database, except it wouldn't be a shared database. Think of it like the blogosphere. So if you know how yeah. the blogosphere works, um, you can just you know install uh, WordPress and uh, WordPress will actually put your posts um, out there into the world uh, using a couple of, of these different ways of formatting your posts. Um, they're, they're, uh, they're called protocols or standards. Um, one of them is Atom, the other is RSS. And, um, and then basically uh, blog readers can, they, they go around and they scoop up all these different, you know, RSS feeds and Atom feeds, bring them all together um, into uh, a single resource that people can, um, you know, choose the blogs from. Well, basically encyclopedias should work the same way. Mm -hmm. um, so instead of, if you look up something, um, then you shouldn't be 
forced into uh, the Wikipedia article. You should be given a whole bunch of different encyclopedia articles. But in order for this to happen, and in order for there to be a meaningful uh, way of surfacing that information, um, there, these uh, different competing encyclopedias need to use the same standards, essentially. Um, that's going to make it easier for um, app writers, um, and for that matter, for Google and other, other search engines, to um, represent the information that is in those, on those articles um, in, in a consistent fashion. So I can imagine, not that I'm writing this for Google, this is, we're always going to be nonprofit, that the, the organization that is, that is uh, organizing this effort are always going to be independent of corporations. Mm -hmm. But one thing that would be possible is once all of this information is out there, Google or DuckDuckGo, which is what I use, um, could go in and, and um, say, okay, so somebody seems to be um, searching for an encyclopedia topic. And so then what they do is um, they show maybe in a sidebar um, like the top 10 results for that topic as rated by, again, a decentralized community. Um, but if it really did work like the blogosphere, as I was saying, like the way the blogs do today, in other words, um, then the, uh, all of these encyclopedias would themselves be a decentralized network. Right, um, yeah. So how does this help solve the problem you're talking about? Um, well, like this. You can easily imagine how um, there would be a bunch of different competing articles about, um, I don't know, Donald Trump, or Donald Trump's views about immigration, for example. Um, or Donald Trump's taxes, or, or uh, some uh, the, the Joe Biden Burisma scandal. Okay, mm -hmm. for all of these different um, topics, you can imagine how there are different people would rate them differently. The articles about them, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it would be really fascinating to see how. Uh, the top-rated article, according to the left, compares to the top-rated article according to the right. Yeah, yeah. Um, or when it comes to, um, like, a religion, for example, just take the article about God and imagine the top-rated article about God according to um, traditional Bible-believing Christians versus Catholics versus... Orthodox people versus, um, I don't know, Jews and Buddhists and atheists, mm -hmm. right? Um, and you could slice and dice the data in all kinds of other ways, but there, then there would have to be also a decentralized way of rating content. Yeah. So that's another thing that we're, that, that we're going to be working on, um, a decentralized way of rating, especially encyclopedia articles, if nothing, if, if nothing else. And then, then the idea is, you know, people can can um, not just rely on some algorithm or what purports to be an algorithm, but which yeah. might actually be twisted in various ways by politi political operatives who've gone to work for corporations. Um, instead, 
what might what it, the way it might work is it's it's an actual um, uh, a poll of people who have differing points of view. Uh, how fascinating would it really be to to see the different takes on a um, the the current president of of um, uh, France, uh, according to people of of from different countries, right. from different political points of view, and so forth, um, and so that I think would be a way of bringing people together because you would you would be able to compare other points of view. You wouldn't be able to dismiss them. Maybe more importantly, it would be harder for your opponents to dismiss your point of view. Mm -hmm. So you say, well, um, don't listen to what Rush Limbaugh has to say about that. He's just like a blowhard or whatever. And it's like, I don't care what he said. That's all you're saying. I don't, I don't care what Fox News says about this. Um, go and look at the article that is the top-rated article according to conservatives, and that's what you need to pay attention to. You'd be able to say that. And yeah. then, of course, liberals and Democrats, whatever, would be able to tell you the same thing. And then you actually might have the basis for an intelligent dialogue. Right, right. And I think that, that could be really useful. Right now, we have we're we're encouraged by the by the media themselves by the uh, you know the medium is the message right as Marshall mm -hmm. McLuhan said um, we're encouraged by the medium themselves to think in a very brief irrational highly emotionally charged way which creates the silos mm -hmm. um, if instead we have a way of surfacing the best of our thoughts on different topics, um, then maybe we'll actually begin to have a more meaningful dialogue across different, you know, political boundaries and religious boundaries and so forth. Mm -hmm. And um, that isn't necessarily going to settle anything, right? But I yeah. think it would be more conducive to respect. Um, it will certainly help people who are intellectually honest to um, to come to a uh, to come to the truth. In my opinion, anyway. yeah. Well, let's say this, Larry, because that's that's fascinating. I well, and can people check that? We'll link it in the show notes. Can people? Is that like in beta mode, or can are there other ways for people to see that? Uh, what you well, the encyclosphere? Yeah, encyclosphere.org, um, and you know you can sign up for it now. We haven't launched the website yet. We're never going to have an app for the encyclopedia. The, this is going to be the website for the Knowledge Standards Foundation, which I'm in the in the process of incorporating right now, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, we we just got a. Um, a grant to work on it i'm happy to say um, awesome good so we're going to be working on it for for at least a year <laughs> um and uh gonna make a, a good good show of it um should be launching by mid-november um encyclosphere.org 
but you can sign up now and you can, when you get the email um, after you sign up, um, you'll, it'll have a link to the blog and, and give uh, uh, you know password to get into the blog there. And mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, Good. Also, the place where everything's going on right now is is the uh, is the Slack group. There's actually a lot going on behind the scenes right now because we haven't launched anything. And we started a year ago, but we sort of went on a long hiatus because I ran out of out of uh, uh, you know money to work on it myself. Mm -hmm. um, but we're never going to give up. It's always going to be a nonprofit. Um, it's gonna it's gonna live on this. I'm absolutely determined to make this network um, and uh, a ba basically a better knowledge network. Yeah, good. Well, I'll make sure I get links for your book, which is um, out now um, through Gumroad and Amazon. Um, I'll make sure I get links in the show notes for that, but also um, what you just talked about there, if people want to sign up for that and stay connected. Um, I'll say this to close though, Larry, and um, what you said was is pretty telling. You said part of the reason why I can do and, and encourage people to do some of the things at the church level is because there's a shared culture or a shared, uh, there's some shared convictions. Even though we might have some diversity, um, there are some shared values and things, right? Um, and that's true. And that is that makes it so unique. And I think um, if I can continue to try and encourage that at my local level, but if you can continue to do what you're doing is this kind of uh, internet cowboy or whatever that you are. Um, we could, uh, that's, that's step one. I will say that because step one is figuring out how do we get back a shared culture because that is lost right now. And so it's, it's definitely lost and how do that's gotta be step one. And so I think you're onto something and you could be doing that. I got kind of excited when you're talking about the ideas about, ranked articles, but also like a diversity of articles and stuff. And uh, that's a really neat idea. I hope that that works and I hope it, um, I hope people sign up for it and I hope it happens because it will help us get a shared culture, I think. And uh, we need that. So thank you. That's good. Absolutely. Well, thanks for hanging out, Larry. I appreciate your thoughts, your wisdom, but also just uh, learning a bit about how uh, things were and are with Wikipedia and all the rest. Um, and also what we might do about some of the problems that are there. So thanks again. Sure. No, thank you for having me. It's been fun.